Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In segment three, we're going to be joined by Paul Swangard, the managing director of the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Paul was in San Francisco this week, and he saw the controversy surrounding the Olympic torch up close. We're going to discuss the crisis the IOC now finds itself in as they debate whether or not the torch should continue the remainder of its 21-country tour leading up to the Olympic Games in August in Beijing. Or have political protests become so worrisome that the IOC will now have to cancel the remainder of the tour. We're going to discuss that with Paul Swangard in Segment 3. In Segment 4, SportsSense, Pete Vlastelica, the co-founder and CEO of YardBarker.com. YardBarker is one of the fastest-growing online sports communities and features blogs and insight from such prominent athletes as Donovan McNabb, Baron Davis, and Greg Oden. It's a place where athletes and fans interact, and the company just secured $6 million in venture capitalist financing last week and is primed to continue its remarkable growth. We're going to catch up with Pete Vlastelica of Yard Barker in Segment 4. A couple of other notes. Visit my sports business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. I'm joined in studio by Nathan Roach. Nathan, we have to give congratulations to Tim Arnold of St. Louis, who correctly picked Kansas, was the only person who picked Kansas to win the NCAA championship, and he is thus the winner of the Sports Business Radio March Madness Bracket Challenge. He will enjoy dinner at Morton's The Steakhouse for his efforts. Good for him. I want to know who finished ahead out of the three of us, Bobby Corser, Brian Berger, and myself, because you guys were on me about finishing last last year, and I think I might have squeaked out and finished ahead of both you guys. I think you're right. I think it was you, then it was Bobby, then I was redemption w- way in the back. Uh, yeah, I had UCLA and uh, Tennessee in the final and uh, was long off on that one. So what was once so simple and pure, the passing of the Olympic flame from one runner to the next, has really descended into political chaos and international controversy in London, Paris, and then San Francisco this week. You know, I have to again question the IOC's decision to award the Summer Olympics to China. This was back in 2001. I think we're only going to see the political protests, the environmental protests grow louder and louder as we approach the Olympic Games. We'll talk about that coming up in headlines and even more so with Paul Swangard in segment three of today's show. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Headlines are coming up. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training. Sports business curriculum taught by industry experts and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. 
But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one, CBS's coverage of Monday's Kansas-Memphis NCAA Men's Basketball National Championship was seen by 19.5 million viewers. It earned a 7.3 Nielsen rating. That's almost identical to the 7.2 rating from last year's Florida-Ohio State title game. Now, for the entire coverage of the entire tournament, CBS averaged a 5.6. That's down from a 6.1 in 2007. CBSSports.com, though, they drew 256,000 unique visitors for Saturday's semifinal games, 235,000 for Monday night's title game. Nearly 4.5 million people, Nathan, logged on during the tournament to watch the tournament online. A huge success once again for the NCAA online. Oh, this is the future of how we're going to watch sports. We've been talking about it for months. We're looking forward to Beijing. The Masters going on right now. You're able to watch it on demand for the Masters, but I really wonder how big the TV ratings would have been had it been a UCLA North Carolina game. I was thinking that that was going to be one of the highest rated games of all time and not even one of those two powerhouses made it into the final game, so I was a little surprised. Now, the women's Final Four and really the women's tournament on ESPN and ESPN2 those ratings were very strong once again this year, up 16% from last year. Tennessee wins it. Candace Parker becoming a household name. Pat Summit, the coach of Tennessee, now has eight titles on her resume. Really incredible. Sticking with the NCAA, our next headline, more than 100 college presidents and ADs this week wrote a letter to NCAA President Miles Brand calling beer advertising embarrassingly prominent during the NCAA men's basketball tournament. Now, The NCAA is supposed to limit the advertising to 60 seconds for beer advertising, but the Center for Science and Public Interest in D.C. said that they counted 240 seconds of beer advertising. You know, I watched the tournament with Sports Business Radio co-founder Keith Foreman, and as we were watching on Saturday and then on Monday, we commented on the number of beer advertisements that we saw. Miles Brand has been on this show, and he talked about really limiting the beer advertisements because isn't it kind of hypocritical to have the PSAs for don't drink and drive but then here you've got six beer ads following that. Well, you know what? i, I got to disagree with you, Brian. You know, I understand the concept of not running beer ads during NCAA sporting events. But let's face it. Beer ads run during television programming for families at night in the evening when children are watching. Why should they not be able to run during college sporting events? They run for everything else. I understand the PSAs are fantastic to counteract the beer ads. But... The beer ads run during family programming at night every single night. My point is this. The NCAA tournament is now a $6 billion industry. That's just their contract with CBS. If they're going to put a bunch of beer ads on there, then... How can you call this amateur athletics anymore? You can't call it oh, amateur athletics. Oh, that's a totally athletics. different issue, and I agree with you. You can't call it amateur athletics. Our next headline, what once seemed so simple and pure, which is the passing of the Olympic flame from one runner to the next, has really descended into political chaos and international controversy in London, Paris, and now San Francisco. Really, Nathan, this became like a game of hide-and-seek in San Francisco. The torch's only U.S. appearance 
they came up with an alternate route. No one could find the torch unless you were literally right next to the torch, and then they hit it and got it out of town as quick as possible. Well, it's, it's like an athletic event of its own now. It's an, it's an Olympic sport trying to hide the torch and trying to escape from protesters. I don't want to make light of what's going on, but it has gotten a little ridiculous, and you hope that the IOC is going to look at this and say, you know what, this might not be safe for everybody, especially going into China. Well, I think what the IOC has seen in the last week is, geez, look at all the controversy that we're receiving just around the torch. Maybe we want to rethink things as we get to the Olympic Games themselves. Some people think there won't be protests in China. I'm not one of them. I think there's going to be a lot of political protests, environmental protests. And as I've said on my blog many, many times, I think the games themselves, the athletic competitions, are going to become like the sideshow to the protest, unfortunately. Our next headline, the Masters taking place this weekend for the first time. Coverage on ESPN, the par 3 contrast, the uh, Thursday-Friday coverage, and then Saturday-Sunday goes on to CBS. Now, really, the only difference between CBS and ESPN's coverage is on ESPN. Mike Tirico is doing the interviews. Jim Nance and all the CBS broadcasters still doing the broadcast and calling the golf. So if you turn on ESPN this week, it looks like you're watching CBS, basically. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, and I know that you prefer Mike Tirico over Jim Nance. And, uh, you know, I guess I prefer Jim Nance only because he's kind of been synonymous with the Masters. And I always look to that the same way I do Dick Vitale with the with NCAA college basketball. Dick Enberg, obviously, with the NCAA tournament, the people that have broadcast for years. Now, the other part of the Masters, in addition to the broadcast, is the players themselves. They've really become like fashion plates. If you look at someone like Tiger Woods, Nike Golf scripts his outfit a year in advance. They've also got other golfers, Paul Casey, KJ Choi, Stuart Sink, Justin Leonard, Adidas has Sergio Garcia, Justin Rose. So a lot of thought goes into making sure that these athletes, these golfers, have the right apparel on, and then when you turn on the TV this weekend and watch, you can go to the store and buy that shirt that you saw Tiger Woods wearing. Well, I guess I, I don't work for Nike, but I can guess what color he's going to be wearing tomorrow. The color of his shirt is most likely going to be red, so that's an easy one. Yeah, it is going to be red. I think it's going to have a stripe on it. Usually he has solid, but uh, I liked Tiger's outfit, and, you know, again, it's not like he wakes up and goes, hey, what am I going to wear today? This was decided a year in advance. Our next headline, the NBA and the NCAA this week announced a joint partnership. It's a five-year, $50 million deal. NBA Commissioner David Stern, NCAA President Dr. Miles Brand having a press conference. And, Nathan, it's amazing. These two entities didn't get together until two years ago. Now this is probably going to change the way basketball is organized here in the United States. Well, and you, I look forward to some of the players that it might help develop as well. And this is a great relationship for the NCAA and the NBA to get on the same term. You know, we talk all the time about what a great commissioner David Stern is, and this is another perfect example of that. Well, and part of this deal could be that players in college the age limit is going to get raised to 20 years old. So you've got to stay in school for two years. Look how this would affect the NBA draft in just the last few years. You've got Carmelo Anthony, one and done. Greg Oden, one and done. Kevin Durant, one and done. Already we've seen O.J. Mayo from USC, uh, Michael Beasley from Kansas State, Eric Gordon from Indiana, all guys who 
are announcing that they're going to the NBA after only one year of college. I think, I mean, think about how the tournament would have been different this year if Greg Oden and Kevin Durant were still playing in college. Well, yeah, and I'm on the fence on this one because as a college basketball fan, I would love to see those guys stick around a couple more years. I mean, think about the talent pool you'd have. I mean, it'd it'd be even more of a coin toss to see who wins. But on the other side is, if you graduate from high school, you have the opportunity to go to college or you can get a job. And I kind of feel the same way about high school basketball players. Look at LeBron James. He was 18, came out, and he's a superstar now in the NBA. Kobe Bryant, Kevin Garnett, I mean, that's just a couple players. That's going to be the part that will be interesting to watch. Will there be another LeBron James someday, and will that person challenge this ruling? It is worth noting that in the collective bargaining agreement, the minimum age, it's not up for expiration until the 2010-2011 season. Right now, the age limit is 19 years old, so it won't change until then. And even then, this new proposed rule will have to be approved by the NBA Players Association. Our last headline of the week, Bill Self, the head coach of the Kansas Jayhawks, won a national championship. Well, he went to school at Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State needs a basketball coach. A guy named Boone Pickens, who's one of the biggest athletic department boosters in the entire United States. There were reports after Kansas won on Monday night that the Oklahoma State Cowboys were going to offer Bill Self six million dollars a year to come coach there that would have been a lot of money but bill self announced on thursday he's going to stay at kansas you know i think that's a good decision money's one thing kansas is really one of the top three or four elite college basketball jobs in the country in my opinion No, and i agree and we saw this trend before with roy williams when he coached at kansas wanted to go back to university of north carolina his alma mater now that's a tough choice because you got kansas who's a powerhouse but then you have North Carolina, which is the biggest name in college basketball, hopping from Kansas to Oklahoma State, I don't think that that's a tough decision. Well, and even Roy Williams couldn't win a championship at Kansas. This is the first title for the Jayhawks since 1988. Coming up next, Paul Swangard from the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. He was in San Francisco this week. We're going to talk about all of the controversy surrounding the Olympic torch. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000. The year before you bought the Mavericks, they were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at sportsbusinessradio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> Or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. This is Sports Business Radio. And I am happy to be joined by Paul Swangard, the managing director of the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Paul, uh, thanks for checking in with us. Always glad to do it, Brian. So, Paul, you've been in San Francisco this week, and the big news in San Francisco is the only U.S. appearance 
of the Olympic torch. We've seen protests and arrests around the torch's visits in London and Paris. From your perspective, how did things go in San Francisco this week? Well, I mean, it's uh, it, it certainly was entertaining, and uh, they, they they took the uh, the approach of you know letting the protesters have their uh, their chance to speak out and, and make a statement about how they felt uh, the Chinese were uh, dealing with some of these issues that have been uh, brought to light in the last couple of weeks. But uh, the focus of the torch uh, group was to make sure that the torchbearers had the opportunity to have their moment in the sun. And so what we found in uh, on this Wednesday in, in San Francisco was a bunch of protesters on a route that they thought would be where the torch was and the torch on a whole different route that uh, kind of took everybody by surprise. So I think at the end of the day, uh, the, the the Olympics got what they wanted, the protesters got what they wanted, and uh, it was peaceful at the end, which is uh, probably the most important thing. Now, Paul, sponsors are a huge part of the Olympics. I mean, they're spending hundreds of millions of dollars. Coca-Cola, uh, Johnson & Johnson, GE, companies like that. Uh, what has the sponsor reaction been to these protests? Well, I think there's certainly an element of concern, uh, particularly those that might be uh, more closely associated like Coca-Cola to the Olympic torch uh, relay, um, but you know the bottom line is is that the the games are much bigger than this torch relay, and uh, and most uh, of the sponsors we've been speaking to are you know still moving full full on with the uh, the plans for the games, and and really that's the focus. Once those games start, uh, I think everyone hopes that at least for these 17 days uh, the politics will be put aside, and and people will celebrate all that's good about the Olympics, which is uh, the competition between countries that oftentimes. Um, in the spirit of competition, uh, rarely play with each other on the, uh, you know, on the on the sporting fields rather than the battlefields. Now, Paul, uh, I had the pleasure of attending the trip to China last September with you and your students from the Warsaw Center, and you know, I've got to tell you, I think as we get closer to the Olympics, and then once we're in Beijing in August. The protests, political protests, environmental protests, I think they're only going to grow stronger and louder. And the athletic competition itself, its I'm not going to say it's going to be secondary, but I just think there's going to be a lot of news around everything happening around the Olympics. What do you think is going to happen? Yeah, I, I think and certainly the buildup and what we've learned in this case with the uh, the Olympic torch being once again this effort to have sort of a global element to it that really it ended up providing a, a great platform for those who wanted to speak out against uh, uh, what they felt were uh, actions that the Chinese were either not living up to in terms of promises they made to get the bid or just their ongoing uh, uh, decisions about things like Tibet and Darfur and uh, and Burma. Uh, but I think once the once the torch is inside the country and once the focus is on the games inside the country, I mean, you spent the time with us in China, I think uh, – you know, there won't be any protest uh, in China. The government uh, will certainly be able to control that a little bit better than a lot of other places. And uh, and hopefully, you know, for everybody's uh, for everybody's sake, it, it becomes a, a peaceful, uh, spirited, you know, athletic competition, which is really what the Olympics were meant to be in the first place. We are joined by Paul Swangard. He is the managing director of the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Paul, again, you're in San Francisco this week. You're there with your students and some faculty, and you're meeting with a number of different sports business companies. Why don't you tell us about your week down there, if you would? Well, it's part of our, uh, you know, our consistent effort over the course of the two-year graduate program to really give the chance for students to get out into the, uh, 
into the business industry and and engage with them on their home turf it's there's only so much you can learn in the classroom and uh, you've experienced some of our trips like the china trip we do one in new york as well and this bay area trip really serves as sort of the starting point for our first year mba students to get a chance to see you know companies ranging from you know product companies like uh, marmot uh, which is based in santa rosa to companies uh, that many of you and your listeners would would know very well: the Raiders, the uh, the Niners, uh, the Giants, the Sharks, uh, the Warriors, uh, and as well some of the agencies down here like IMG that, uh, in in many respects, are are, are well known, but uh, more well known to people who really follow the business of sport rather than those who uh, are fans of sport. So much money in the Bay Area. I mean. You know, you look at the Giants ballpark. I had the pleasure of going to a game down there last year for the first time. And uh, I know Bonds is gone now, but they've sold so many tickets. It's a privately built ballpark. Uh, We see Cisco Field is probably in the works. Uh, Give me your overall, uh, I guess, uh, opinion of the San Francisco Bay Area landscape. Well, I, you know, I think it's exciting in the sense that there's a lot of really interesting projects on the on the pipeline. Of course, the the A's uh, in Fremont, the the effort by the uh, Niners to build a new stadium in Santa Clara. Though I've had some discussions with people down here that really felt like the the great opportunity here would have been to uh, take a page out of the Jets and the Giants model in New York and build a single football dedicated facility for the two professional teams in this market but it just doesn't look like that's going to happen or at least people will uh, will have to wait out Mr. Davis in Oakland before those two sides came together. Um, I saw Pat Gallagher uh, over the trip, uh, president of Giants Enterprises and he really talked about an exciting new development just across the uh, the cove from uh, from their baseball park and looking to you know, add some housing and uh, and some office space and and help uh, kind of really, you know, revitalize that area and kind of create that true entertainment district. And that really seems to be what most of the projects on the plate here are really speaking to. This much broader focus on development that's really outside of just a standalone sporting facility, but really a, a series of developments that uh, that provide an economic engine and a vitality to uh, to the area that can sustain itself when uh, there aren't games being played. And that's uh, that's always been a challenge, even in your backyard with the Rose Garden. I think if you go there on a non-event night, uh, it's hard to imagine that any business, uh, you know, could sustain itself. It's one of the reasons that so many businesses up there uh, near the Rose Garden haven't exactly benefited from uh, the garden development in the way they would have hoped. Paul, uh, San Jose, interesting uh, city, and they have the Sharks, obviously, but I've heard lots of talk in the last two years that uh, they're trying to get an NBA team. Do you think there's any chance that they get an NBA team in the next few years? Uh, you know, I just, I just don't think they sit on the, the high-priority scale of, uh, of sort of NBA uh, cities. Uh, we've obviously got uh, places like Kansas City and, and conceivably, depending on what happens long-term, with Seattle wanting to maybe bring a, a version of the Sonics back, uh, Las Vegas uh, in the mix. Um, so I, I just imagine, uh, and while I haven't spoken to anybody specifically down here about it, uh, the idea is that they're probably uh, maybe a, a second generation of expansion or relocation away from being a viable market to come to. We've got just a few minutes left. Paul Swangard, the managing director of the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, is joining us. Paul, the Women in Sports Symposium is coming up. It's always a great event that the Warsaw Center puts on. Uh, tell us about this year's event, if you would. Yeah, we're, we're, we're pleased again to be up in the Portland market for the second consecutive year. This is the 12th year 
that we've hosted an event really focused on the, the business of, of women in sports and also the business of women's sports. Uh, this year's honoree is uh, Donna Lopiano, who's a longtime friend of our programs, who just recently left uh, as CEO of the Women's Sports Foundation, uh, arguably one of the most impactful women in sports business over the last you know, 30 years, former chief uh, women's administrator at the University of Texas, was very successful in collegiate athletics. And we've also added um, an afternoon panel on the 17th uh, of of April, kind of giving folks a chance to hear from some other leaders in the industry. We'll, we'll team up uh, for what I think will be a really interesting conversation, Donna Lopiano and Gert Boyle, the head of Columbia, to have sort of a look on on their careers from very two different perspectives in the world of sports business. And then we'll have uh, uh, some folks from uh, Women in and Women in Sports and Events, which is a large networking group. Uh, they're their president of their San Francisco chapter will be coming up, Beth Schnitzer. Uh, we'll have Shannon Sweeney Pruitt, who's one of our alumni, who's in charge of all product integration for the American Idol franchise. Uh, and we'll also have some representatives uh, from Nike who will be speaking, you know, really about how you can leverage your career and, uh, and, and try to make a name for yourself in a business that, at least for women, is, um, has been traditionally a harder industry for them to uh, get into and, and obviously move up the, uh, the ladder to success. And that's really because uh, it has been, for the most part, a good old boys network. And uh, we're hoping that maybe in uh, the 12 years that we've been doing this, we've helped create uh, a good old girls network that uh, can be equally as successful to get people in the industry. No, it's a great event. And I got to tell you, I mean, while we're talking about women's sports, uh, the women's NCAA Final Four got great TV ratings on ESPN and ESPN2. The tournament was very well received. And, you know, I look at an event like that and I look at someone like Pat Summit, who's now won eight titles. And, you know, I just think... Uh, Women's sports is uh, its really breaking through from where it was maybe 10 years ago. Yeah, success of women's tennis, uh, the LPGA, you know, seemingly doing, uh, you know, much better with a lot of emerging young stars. Um, you know, parity and prize money in, in women's tennis is something that, uh, you know, came to fruition over the last couple of years. And I think Candace, you know, really represents the opportunity maybe for uh, having just been selected by the L.A. Sparks in the WNBA draft is going to be in the right market with the right you know, combination of character and athleticism that uh, we may arguably have that breakthrough star that will uh, fundamentally change how women are viewed, not only uh, athletically, but uh, in the purposes of uh, our discussions typically around uh, sports marketing and being really a, an endorser with a lot of upside potential. Paul, how can people, uh, if they're going to be in the Oregon area or if any of our audience around the country wants to uh, get more information on this event, how can they do that? Uh, best thing to do is just go to our website, which is warsawcenter.com. Uh, the panels uh, will cost you $20 on April 17th on Thursday, and we invite anyone who's interested uh, and listening that's in the vicinity to join us. There's also a dinner that night uh, for a slightly higher price and, again, a chance to you know show, uh, show support for uh, women in sports business, a chance if you're interested in getting involved or if you're in the industry uh, to meet some of the other uh, folks in the industry, both male and female, who might uh, – help further your career, and uh, we'll be at the Multnomah Athletic Club, which is a great venue for any event, and uh, look forward to seeing some of the SBR listeners to uh, to join us that night. Well, and I know we both have daughters, so uh, I applaud events like this. I think it's fantastic. 
I never really appreciated what we were doing until uh, the birth of my two children, and and to know what uh, things like Title IX and uh, and the development and opportunities now available to uh, to women athletically, uh, my my daughters will be so much better off as yours will uh, for a lot of the work that uh, has been spearheaded, like people uh, like Donna Lopiano, who will honor on that night. Well, Paul, I appreciate you taking time out of your uh, trip in San Francisco to check in with us, and uh, we'll catch up with you soon. That sounds good, Brian. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection, not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu, and they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Pete Blastelica. He's the CEO and co-founder of Yardbarker.com. Pete, thanks for joining us. No problem, Brian. Thanks for having me on. So, Pete, I know what Yardbarker is. I think a lot of our audience knows about Yardbarker. But for those who don't, explain how you got started and uh, what the Yardbarker community is about. Sure. So Yardbarker is a social media network that targets sports fans. And the hub of the network is Yardbarker.com, where fans get together and talk about what's happening in sports. It's a a place to hang out and talk sports on the web. Um, Among the fans hanging out on the site are about 40 professional athletes, uh, including some superstars like Carmelo Anthony and Donovan McNabb and Baron Davis and Greg Oden, athletes that uh, are part of the generation of uh, sports fans themselves that you know, find it more refreshing to be able to connect directly with fans with uh, a message that's uh, that's a real and authentic, um, and not boiled down into sound bites or uh, reflected through uh, through a microphone. So Yardbarker.com is uh, the hub, but then we also manage a network of about 300 independent sports sites, uh, mostly blogs, that contribute content to our site that we syndicate content to, and that we represent to advertisers. So altogether. We reach about 6 million unique users a month across our entire network, um, and uh, you know we drive traffic through Yardbarker.com, which is becoming more and more popular uh, itself, and we think that collectively the site and the network um, are a pretty good model for a new type of sports media company. Well, and your growth over the last 12 months has really been dramatic, and you've got companies like 2K Sports, Vitamin Water, Sony PlayStation, some pretty major sponsors that have taken an interest in Yardbarker. Yeah, they they have, and I think um, it's been driven by a couple things that we're doing. Uh, on the one hand, sponsors are excited about the opportunity to insert their brand into a conversation that um, that's not only happening among fans, but that celebrity athletes are a part of as well. And then the the network that we manage, um, the 300 sites that uh, that we represent to advertisers, is a great way to, to offer reach to, to these advertisers who are otherwise looking at opportunities to you know 
place their brand on a site that has a lot more traffic than yardbarker.com itself does. So collectively, it's something that uh, that advertisers are getting pretty interested in. And what we like to do is create you know, custom sponsorship packages for these brands that um, that sort of position their brand in a, in a way that's a little more special than um, what they might get by just running a banner ad campaign. So let's talk about these athletes for a minute. I mean, you know, many athletes have tried to do their own site, have tried to communicate with their fans via their own site, but you seem to have pretty good success with getting the athletes that you're working with to blog regularly. And, you know, I'm in Portland, so I follow Greg Oden's blog on Yard Barker's uh, really closely and I see he uses video and I followed his rehab from his injury. How do you work with these athletes to get them to regularly update their content? Well, for one thing, we look for the type of athlete who we think is going to be a consistent blogger. Um, you know, blogging is not for everybody and we, uh, we don't pretend to be able to turn somebody who doesn't have it in them into a blogger. Um, but when we find somebody that we think is going to be consistent and has something to say and is excited about the opportunity, I think, you know, just the format that we give them um, makes them even more active than they might otherwise be if they were just running their own personal website. And the reason is you know, we plug them into an audience, an existing audience, where they can say anything and they're going to have um, people responding and, and uh, there to sort of interact with them as opposed to, you know, uh, a, a guy who's just running uh, a, a blog or a, a diary or a journal on, on his own website where the only way it's really going to get a lot of attention is if he says something um, really sort of controversial or newsworthy. I mean, you look at sort of a, a Barry Bonds who announced that he, um, that he wasn't coming back to the Giants on BarryBonds.com or Kobe Bryant who said he didn't want to come back to the Lakers on his own website. You know, those, got, those stories got a lot of attention, but when they weren't making those types of bold statements, there weren't that many people going to their sites. Um, so, the, so the benefit to, to these guys of you know, working on a site or, or blogging on a site that uh, where other athletes are blogging and where generally there's a big community of fans hanging out is, you know, they, they can they can talk about their lives, they can give general updates, they can post videos and photos, and they're going to have people who are ready to, to listen to what they say and respond. So they appreciate the interactivity, and that brings them back to do it again and again. We are joined by Pete Vlastelica. He is the CEO and co-founder of YardBarker.com. Pete, when someone signs up with you, let's say a Greg Oden, a Donovan McNabb, do you outfit them with a laptop and a video camera? What are you arming them with in order to communicate uh, via Yardbarker? No, we, we, don't, we don't outfit them with a, a laptop. Typically, we're working with guys that are part of you know, the generation of, of uh, athlete who don't remember life before the Internet, you know, who, who right. go, on the road, go on the road with a laptop. Um, so typically, it's, you know, the guys we work with are hanging out on, on MySpace and are, are addicted to email and that sort of thing already. And it's just a matter of uh, sort of explaining our site to them, giving them their, their username and password, and, and then, you know, letting them loose. Um, we, do, uh, we do give some of these guys a video camera, um, and that's come in um, handy because, you know, a lot of these guys have, uh, have become pretty good little videographers in, in, sure. in their own right. So right. if you saw, like, Greg Oden's video of uh, – the MTV crib style video. It was hilarious. Mom's, mom's apartment. Yeah, exactly. And it was, you knew it was really him. It was authentic. Um, he was definitely holding the camera. You knew it was him because, you know, he was looking down on the top of the refrigerator when he walked by it. Uh, it could only be a, <laughs> a seven foot tall guy, but, but uh, yeah, so we, we give him, we give some of these guys a video camera and then uh, we give him a username and password and, and, and just let it rip. 
And how do you establish the relationship? I mean, let's face it. There's a lot of people out there trying to get to these athletes. Obviously, you've got something pretty compelling that you're coming with. But are you going to the agents or are you going to the athletes themselves directly to try and get them involved with what you're doing? It happens in in a lot of different ways. Um, And what we're starting to see now is that the athletes and their representatives are, are coming to us. I mean, that's a great thing. That's a great position to be in where they're coming to you now. Yeah, exactly. That's what we were hoping would happen. Um, and, you know, it, it, the, the analogy that, that we think of is, um, you know, MySpace, where in the early days of MySpace, um, you know, there, there were some kids hanging out and then there were a handful of independent bands. Um, but it, it only took a few um, uh, major uh, bands to start using the platform before you really couldn't be a band, independent or major label, without having a MySpace uh, page. And um, we're starting to see a similar thing happen um, with Yard Barker, and we hope it continues to happen. Um, but, yeah, we, we work sometimes directly with the athlete, um, sometimes through an agent or through a publicist. Um, it, it, we, uh, it, the relationships get built in all kinds of ways. But the, the good news is for us that we're starting to see um, some general awareness of, of what we're up to in the athlete community, and, and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's making our lives a little bit easier. Now, athletes like uh, Donovan McNabb, Baron Davis, Dontrell Willis, Greg Oden, obviously they see the upside of this, and it's great for their brand and their personal brand. But I would imagine there's also got to be some form of compensation. From what my sources tell me, these athletes have been offered a small piece of the company, maybe in lieu of huge money up front. Uh, Are you able to discuss kind of what your deals are with these athletes? And I'm not asking for exact dollar amounts, but in rough terms. Yeah, I mean, I can tell you generally what what we do, and um, I, I don't know who your sources are. It's it's true that that some of the athletes that we work with have uh, have some stock in the company. Um, definitely not not all of them, not even the majority of them. Um, in the early days, when when this was just an idea, um, we uh, you know we, we used uh, stock as a way to to get these guys on board um, and to to treat them like owners in the company and get them thinking about you know what they could do. To uh, to you know drive the success of of what we're up to, um, but you know, it's definitely not standard that you know in a, in a new agreement with an athlete will uh, will will sort of give them stock options in the company. Typically, um, you know it's enough that um, that we're able to increase their profile, um, get them more exposure, and give them a way to connect directly with their fans. That's better than anything anything else out there that that that, that they might want to use to do that. Um, we also uh, have a revenue sharing agreement in place where if if a sponsor is interested in working with uh, with the uh, the athlete who's blogging on the site, then uh, we work out a way to, to share the revenue since sort of you know we're we're providing um, a forum for the the athlete and brand to connect, um, but ultimately that relationships between the brand and the athlete. Now speaking of bringing in money, uh, because of the popularity and success of Yard Barker, uh, recently um, you announced that you've closed a, a $6 million round of financing. Can you talk about that a little bit? That's very impressive, and it really, I think, is a testament to what you're doing. Thank you. Yeah, basically, we, uh, we've, we've been bootstrapping this project for the past two years um, you know, with, uh, with the support of some friends and family and, and uh, some really great angel investors. Um, but we got to the point where we, we, sort of, we realized that we'd created a lot of opportunities for ourselves, um, We'd, uh, we'd proven the concept. Um, we saw that it was working. Uh, and it, it got to the point where it was time to start accelerating our growth and, um, and, and hopefully uh, working with a, a, an investor or a set of new investors who had some experience in uh, you know, operating or, or at least participating in the growth of a company similar to ours. So 
we went out and, and started looking for the right venture capital partner, um, and we found a great partner um, who, uh, who, you know, Draper Fisher Jervison, who has a, a great track record in, in helping build consumer internet companies, um, and uh, who had some relevant experience with similar um, vertical branded advertising networks like like the one that we're building, um, and so. You know, DFJ came on board and, and uh, you know, made an offer that, that made a lot of sense for us to consider. And um, you know, we're sort of entering a new phase now where, um, you know, growth needs to start accelerating. Everybody's expectations are changing, but we're really fundamentally um, pursuing the same opportunity that we've been after for the past 12 months. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that uh, DFJ has invested in some pretty successful companies, $5.7 billion in capital. Some of the companies they've uh, invested in you might have heard of. Hotmail and Skype. So uh, I'd say you're in pretty good company, and uh, they've got a pretty good track record for picking out winners. I think that's good for you guys. Yeah, I, I hope so. What's the future hold from here? I mean, if you look two to five years down the road, uh, where do you want this going? What's your goals? You know, the goal is to continue on the path we're on now to give independent uh, sports writers who are maintaining their own blogs a, a way to, um, if not quit their day jobs, at, at least make it worth their while, um, and also to uh, – to continue to give um, athletes and, and sports figures in general a way to connect with their fans. Um, you know, the whole reason behind working with athletes in the way we do is that athletes are fans too. Um, everybody's a fan. Um, there's nothing that an athlete can do on our site that uh, that, that any user can't. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to reinforce this concept that, um, you know, athletes are human beings and, and they need a place to hang out uh, just like fans do. And so the, the goal is to to uh, continue to position Yardbarker.com as you know the place where fans and athletes are hanging out and talking sports, um, and uh, you know hopefully to continue to attract more and more sports fans um, to uh, to the platform based on its its interactivity and its authenticity. Um, so you know it's we don't have any fundamental um, shifts planned uh, and you know changes to what we're doing right now. We just want to do more of the same and and hopefully reach a lot more people. Well, Pete, thanks for making time to join us. Guests appearing during our Sports End segment will be treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses. Morton's the steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. For the Morton's nearest you, go online to mortons.com. Pete, again, congratulations with all your success with Yard Barker, and uh, I really enjoy uh, checking in and would love to catch up with you again in the future. Sounds good, Brian. Anytime. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. We live in an age where everything is on the record. What we say anywhere, whether it's in an elevator, in an email, or during a conversation with a reporter, is now being broadcast instantaneously on YouTube, in a blog, or through the mass media. It's easier than ever to spot someone who has been traditionally media trained and is just giving you that same old boring PR speak. I want to help you navigate the tricky media landscape. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form Evergreen Media Training. Green Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training, monitoring, and feedback, we'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. 
The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. We are back with our final segment, and Baltimore Ravens kicker Matt Stover this past Monday emailed a plan to fellow player reps to have a new union boss in place by March of 2009, replacing NFL Players Association Executive Director Gene Upshaw, whose contract runs through 2010. This is according to ESPN.com. Could a coup be in the works, Nathan? I think this would be a big mistake for the NFL players, and I say that because really out of all of the different leagues, the NFL players get a bigger piece of the pie than any other league. They're getting but basically 60% of the pie as opposed to the owner's 40%. That's pretty darn good. Well, yeah, and that's exactly what Upshaw said. He said, if I were doing a bad job, that'd be one thing. But I'm doing such a bad job, how come owners are mad at me? Because we're getting such a large piece of the pie. So what are the players thinking? I don't know. It's all about the money when it comes to them half the time. So 60%, that's a good figure. Now, Upshaw does turn 65 years old in 2010. There's a Players Association rule in place right now that says mandatory retirement age is 65, but that rule could be changed. And again, I think Upshaw has done a pretty good job. He has had some run-ins with the retired players, Mike Ditka, others, about giving money for disability and things like that. But I think as far as what he's done with the current players, he's done a pretty darn good job. A lot of thank yous on our show this week. Pete Vlastelica from YardBarker.com, Paul Swangard from the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger, our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, ProTrade.com, and Evergreen Media Trading. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast anytime you want, Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the podcast page. I put up some really interesting new commercials on the blog at sportsbusinessradio.com. The NBA has their new playoff campaign unveiled. I like the commercials. Go into my blog and see them there. I'm Brian Berger. Have a terrific week. We'll see you next week on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. Saturday. That's why you're a smart business person. <laughs> or at sportsbusinessradio.com.